Hello and welcome to FML Fund My Life, a podcast brought to you by my Wall Street. So let's get straight into part two of Investor Chat. And if you didn't catch part one, I'd advise you to go back to episode 16 and give it a listen. So it's time to start ramping up your portfolio for success. And it's not an easy time to do that right now with the market the way it is. So you need all the help and knowledge you can get. And that's where we'd like to help. (laughs) So stick around to hear our thoughts on the economy, recession-proofing your portfolio, our favourite female-led businesses, plus we tell you what stock of ours is furthest in the red. We also tell you why we're ignoring those red warnings and sticking by these businesses. And a couple of listener questions as well. So Anne-Marie, let's get right into it with a serious question. And as well, we're in a serious economic climate at the moment. So young investors are likely feeling very concerned right now about the future potential of some of their investments. So what advice would you give to a new investor to give them some hope for the future, which we all need? Yeah, I suppose if you're worried um, about your own kind of financial situation because of, you know, rising cost of living or maybe you're worried you might get laid off, I'd say go back to like basics of even before investing, you know, like check in with your savings account and make sure you have enough to cover six months of expenses. Um, And that number may have increased because like, of inflation and the cost of living going up so much you know your rent might have increased your food budget might have increased your child care mm-hmm. expenses might have increased so i would say check in with those and make sure that yeah. you're that you're keeping up because it's entirely possible that you know you might need to skip putting money in your investment account a couple months to top up your savings account and like that's mm-hmm. totally acceptable like it is a, a pretty rough time out there and also we're about to enter the holiday season, um, you know, people's spending tends to increase in this period. So like, I don't think you need to be too hard on yourself, um, for that at the minute, you know, it's, you can, you can be kind to yourself. It's, it's, (laughs) this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and then I'd also say when it comes to then investing, remind yourself you're in this for the long term and that short-term volatility is kind of just noise. You know, you're, you're, you're looking for, more, I suppose, signal or message within that noise if you're maybe concerned about a particular company or stock. Um, And so I'd say maybe to boost your confidence around continuing to invest or, you know, maybe a a certain holding that you have is down significantly and you're starting to feel a little bit shaky on it, um, check back in with your investment thesis. You know, hopefully you have that written down somewhere. You know, Mm. we always kind of say that, you know, maybe if you're picking on a company, write down your bullet, your four or five bullet points of why you like it. And, and, you know, oh, I like the management team. I like how much uh, how how much the CEO holds in terms of stock. You know, he owns five percent of the business. I like that. Um, You know, it's in a it's in a, a, a growing market. It doesn't have any competition, whatever it might be. Check back in the, with those initial bullet points and see if they're still true and see if like maybe the macroeconomic environment has challenged them in some ways. Um, you know, maybe there's a completely different competitive environment out there. Maybe the product isn't as recession resistant you might have thought, but check back in. And, you know, even if a company is being challenged, it doesn't necessarily mean that like it's completely fallen apart as an investment. You know, maybe mm. maybe go back and check in. And then if like, I don't know, if there's a company you're particularly worried about, like ask questions uh, mm. to us or to other people at my wall street or, you know, other kind of people who might be experts in that particular sector, you know, like reach out and see where the winds are blowing and, and see where things are maybe going to settle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Some great tips there. And yeah, I do agree that like, um, having a six month emergency fund and investing consistently into your, um, investment portfolio might be very difficult at the moment, you know, especially because like prices have changed so drastically. So it's not like we all got a chance to get used to everything being a lot more expensive. So yeah, I agree. Definitely be kind to yourself. And, um, you know, if you miss 
a month or a few months um just make sure you come back to it i think that's the best thing to like remember to keep in your head that just because you miss a few months do have a plan to get back to consistently investing in your um portfolio but then kind of going on from that and talking about the recession and the kind of where we are at the moment is there such thing as recession proof in your portfolio and if you can how can you do it (laughs) Yeah, I, I, you definitely can introduce elements of recession resistance or recession proof. Maybe I don't think we can confidently say recession proof, but you mm-hmm. know, stocks that will fare better in a recession maybe than others. Um, but ideally, you would do this diversification prior to a recession set again, which I know is unfortunate to like say to people now. Um, but you know, you're hoping that you hold a few boring brick and mortar retailers that will hold through a recession. So you know, if your B two B software company absolutely sells off by eighty percent, you don't feel so bad. Um, you basically want to make sure that a certain percentage of your portfolio is sitting in businesses that have been deemed essential to consumers. Maybe even uh, go back to that episode we had where we had the pyramid and we talked about investment, you know, the investment period to ensure you're diversified and make sure, mm-hmm. you know, you have a percentage yeah. of your portfolio sitting in those bottom tiers, you know, the really old kind of boring, slow moving stuff. Um, and so you have to sit down and ask yourself, right, what do consumers absolutely need to spend money on? That's things like food, home repairs, even low cost gyms are pretty recession resistant because mm-hmm. maybe like a person can't justify 120 bucks a month, but like 10, 15, $20, you know, like going to the gym is really important for a huge percentage of the population. I don't think they're going to throw that out. Um, and there's even like some surprising ones that we've come across over the last couple of months to a year. Lots of reporting on how recession resistant cosmetic spending is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people still end up spending on their skincare. Um, and then we have begun to see a little bit of recession resistance in terms of certain subscription services. So Netflix and Amazon Prime seem quite resistant simply because like they're just so ingrained in people's lives. It seems unlikely that they will cancel them. You know, sometimes people can become quite pessimistic in times of economic downturn and they say, oh, people can't afford houses because they're paying for Amazon Prime or, you know, they're going to the gym. I think that is a really ridiculous attitude to have because, like, what's the point of making money if you can't live a little? You know, people deserve to have the right to, like, watch a movie and go to the gym. So, like, uh, you can invest in those companies. I also think, like, people might not have enough money to go out for, like, dinner, drinks, go to the theatre, go to a nightclub, but they can't, like, they want to stay in, then what, what What are they going to do? They're going to watch something, like, so they need those yeah. streaming services because they are cheaper than a full-blown night out on the town. Yeah, or even going to the movie theatre. Like, mm. it is cheaper to get a Netflix subscription service for one or two people than it is to go to the movies. So, like, it's not, yeah, it's not ridiculous to see recession resistance in that, but I would say they probably sit on, like, a tier. So, like, absolutely 100% recession resistant is food. So, like, look at, you know, stocks that you like that, that happen to be um, selling groceries, I think would be um, <laughs> your your, be- your first best bet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we actually had a listener question ask us, kind of a nice question like this one. Um, what females in business are we both inspired by? So I would say for me, it has to be a Bumble. Um, Whitney mm-hmm. Wolfhard, I just think um, she's a great leader. I love her story of why she created Bumble. So she was actually working at Tinder. She was the really high up in Tinder. I think she was like the co-founder, not but she was pretty she high up in it. In- yeah, she came in really early and was, like, mm. very instrumental in their marketing process. Like, she launched them on all the college yeah. campuses. She's, mm. like, part, like people are, like, she is the reason Tinder was successful. Yeah, so she was massive there. And then she actually left Tinder because of a sexual harassment claim. And that kind of spurred her on to create a safer place for women to date. And that's where Bumble kind of came. So I love that story. And, like, 
you know, I love the fact that, you know, women have to write first. It just like, it weeds out a lot of like weird stuff because just you don't get like there's not as much like I know you have to you like on the other apps you have to match with someone for them to be able to write to you but there is just that extra level of like you have to write to them first initial mm-hmm. conversation it just does remove a lot of like unnecessary weird <laughs> first questions that you sometimes get on the other apps um, and then she also introduced initiatives in like different countries like specific to like you know their kind of safety arrangements so like in in India like um sexual harassment and um assault is very high against women so um she initiated like different kind of things to help protect women's safety i think one of them was that you would never be able to see someone's like second name and the location um settings were very protected on it as well so i love the way she kind of like altered the app to fit um different countries and stuff i thought that was really um innovative and yeah like as a user like i do like use Bumble like I think it's like a good app I remember Rory saying he actually met his partner on Bumble so there you go and but then when I think about it like I like the business but from an investment standpoint I actually don't invest in it Mm -hmm. and which I think is interesting the way you can like a business but that doesn't mean you have to invest in it I just think there's it's such a competitive space and even when I look at it it's not my favorite dating app hinges and yeah. I think Thursday has also become popular. So from like from investment standpoint, I think it's a little bit risky, but I still love the mission that Whitney yeah. Wolford is behind. Yeah, I would agree. Very Operating in a very competitive environment against a Goliath because Match Group owns Hinge and Tinder, and yeah. I don't think they own Thursday, but it's very hard to go as an individual app to go up against someone that's just, will just buy mm-hmm. up anything. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I did like about Bumble when we did the initial write-up on it, which was something I hadn't really considered, was all dating apps have an essential flaw, which is once a person like gets into a stable relationship or gets married, they don't need them anymore, mm. right? So there's no way that you could, in theory, lock up a user for life, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was this kind of problem. How do you, you know, it's, it's almost like if your product is really good, it's horrible for business you yeah. know, if your pro- and you're kind of like, how do we solve this? You know? Um, and Bumble might actually be onto something there with, mm. you know how they have like the Bumble BFF and the Bumble biz, yeah. um, segments. Those are continuing to grow quarter over quarter. And I think that that is kind of nice because it then allows people to not just consider Bumble as being a, a place to build a dating profile. It's like, no, you can you build a profile of yourself and that can help you make connections, whether they be romantic or not. And I think that's kind of nice. It's kind of like a more casual LinkedIn or like maybe like an old school Facebook. And yeah. I think that could have potential to it because there is like a formality that LinkedIn has that isn't great for just kind of building like, you know, like a, a network to just talk to someone about. Maybe, you, you know, mm-hmm. you're not you're not trying to get a job per se. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really nice. And one of my friends lives in uh, Berlin. And she used Bumble BFF recently and said it was really nice. And she met like a really nice friend on it. And then they got together with other people they met through Bumble BFF. And she said it was really great. And that people like she found the experience really easy to use. So I've actually, I've actually met some of my closest friends on Bumble BFF when living abroad. Always only when living abroad though. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it seems, I think that could be like a nice little, Mm. you know, at at the end of the day, maybe they fall off for dating, but like no one else seems to be kind of going down this avenue. So that's kind of maybe a little competitive edge for them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So who's your favorite female-led business? 
I have one. It's not publicly traded, but mm-hmm. I have been reading about this business quite a lot this year. Uh, Forbes did a pretty big profile on this um, CEO this year, and it was a really interesting article. I'd recommend people go and read it. Um, and I want to talk about Canva. Mm. Uh, you know that design company so canva was founded in 2013 by melanie perkins she's australian and um it just started out as like a yearbook software you know how you know how do we make interesting like designs for our yearbooks and it has kind of now grown into the default easy to use design tool for just about anyone and anything um and her origin story is really interesting she started the business when she was 26 and she went around pitching to try and get funding she was rejected by more than 100 investors during that process and um in her forbes article they talk about how she actually got into a pretty terrible kite surfing accident um when she was at like a pitch event for these like big investors who love kite surfing and she had taught herself how to kite surf over the course of a year because she was like i'm going to this event someone's going to invest in the business here and she got into an accident and was stranded at sea for like two hours. Um, so she's obviously very, very dedicated. Um, yeah. But she, that dedication comes from the fact that she like saw a real opportunity because for a yeah. long time, design was just reserved for large companies that could pay to have like a dedicated team versus an Adobe and the Adobe suite and, you know, small and medium sized businesses and individuals kind of didn't have a like didn't have an ability to participate in that type of thing but she was like no as as like social media becomes more powerful e-commerce becomes more powerful people need this like legitimate you know considerate curated brand to exist online she's like we need to create an easy to use tool Mm -hmm. for these people you know that maybe a company only has five employees or maybe it's just like one person with an etsy shop or whatever and she was dead right like that is a definite niche in the market and she's kind of carved it out for herself and it's become very fast growing and um really by targeting small players it means that she hasn't bumped up or brushed up against adobe at all um which has meant that she's been able to scale this business really unchallenged by a absolute goliath some like a very powerful company that like is quite impressive they very impressive um software um and shockingly enough in the research process for this piece i discovered that canva which is like a software company like that is very much in its early years. You know, it was only founded in 2013. It's growing really mm. rapidly. It is profitable and has been since 2017. Isn't that crazy? I'm not surprised because I use Canva every day as a social media like, manager. <laughs> I, I, that blows my mind that like you could be doing, like have a company that is so quickly growing and be profitable since 2017. That's very impressive. Anyway, Canva is now worth $40 billion mm. and Perkins owns 15% of the business, which means that her stake is worth $6 billion, which is crazy crazy absolutely crazy so i'm very very impressed by melanie perkins and uh in her business yeah like canva is great it's so easy to use like i didn't have any design background and like i can make things pretty good in it yeah yeah so okay going on to us talking more about business and stocks (laughs) so i wanted to ask us this because i think it's important for like new listeners that might think me and you more you (laughs) it's like you know all of our stocks are in the green and you know we know exactly where our portfolios are going well we kind of do none of that but you know if you kind of have this idea that all of our stocks are in the green they're not (laughs) so Amory what stock have you invested in that is deep in the red right now like a lot of stocks are um but you believe in now more than ever yeah I actually talked about one gosh four weeks ago six weeks ago which was netflix um we were like going over stock of the month um pitches i discussed netflix i'm more confident on netflix now than 
ever like feel very fine in that business um very happy to pick up stock there now um but that's kind of a cop-out for me to talk about it again so i thought i would touch on pinterest um mm. which is a company i own some some shares in i initially picked up pinterest because in terms of like it's not it's almost not a social media and um it was very kind of easy to write about it like that you know people go on pinterest to get shopping inspiration and that meant it could we were like gosh this could be a really powerful e-commerce tool um but obviously in the last couple of years with changes in advertisement and stuff like that like they've had a had a difficult go of it i suppose that's to be expected um but i still think that that e-commerce idea is like relevant and is good and will be successful maybe even now more than ever because of the changes in advertisement because you know facebook and google are having a hard time targeting ads because of ios 14.5 but pinterest has an easier time again because people go onto the platform looking for things to be marketed to them if you will and so it means that like you don't have to scrape data to appeal to this person they're going to give it to you for free because they're going on there to search and so i think it means that pinterest will be able to sell ads quite effectively for targeted search which we've seen other companies do like weird companies that you wouldn't expect like a couple weeks ago we were talking about how walmart is making a bunch of excess revenue from advertisement because they're selling ads on their website for targeted search so i think pinterest can be quite successful there but i also think the e-commerce thing is interesting and as we've discussed probably a couple months ago they have this new app shuffles that i like which i think is interesting as a good way to kind of activate the gen z group so it's down pretty heavily um but i still think there's something there there's still mm -hmm. something i like about it um yeah so a high risk high reward stock most definitely but still there's still something i like there Oh, yeah. you consider it high risk, high reward. That's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, oh. so like it's so small and mm. um, yeah, it's not it's, it's not as comfortable as like other social media companies. Like it doesn't grow the same like um, new users or anything like that. So yeah, I would consider it high risk, high reward. Okay. Now you have to ask me, Emery. <laughs> Sorry, of course. <laughs> um, this is a conversation. So <laughs> Nicole, what is your stock that you... Um, that you're down on bad, but you still feel comfortable in. Yeah. Okay. So you might not have heard of this one because I don't think I would have heard about it unless I worked for my Wall Street or and I followed Emmett's Horizon Picks. Um, so it's Atlassian. Um, the ticker is Team. Um, so in the Horizon service, Atlassian is described as an Australian enterprise software company that develops products for software developers, project managers, and content management so very techie basically and their applications include gyra if i'm pronouncing that right confluence and trello and trello i've actually used um a good few times but i kind of basically back this company because emma has talked about it so much and i kind of started researching it um and yeah and learning more about it and now that i kind of understand the business and what investors are saying about it um it's definitely one that i'm consistently invest in every month um, and even more recently in Horizon Emmett has reaffirmed his kind of stance on the company and um, and after the it's just actually released an earnings report recently enough um, and the CEO was basically very confident that they're still in line of sight of 10 billion dollars in annual revenue um, yeah, and yeah it's just a stock that I constantly keep a watch on when Emmett is talking about it in Horizon and things like that and but yeah, I'm still back in it, even though I think in my portfolio, it's down 60%. So yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a tough one to keep putting money into 
every month when you see it just going down and down but mm. i'm pretty like i'm safe i'm pretty much safe yeah it's definitely one of those software it's like one of those b2b software companies that got pushed up really high mm. during 2020 there was yeah. an awful lot of money poured into software companies like that yeah and i think we are we are definitely in a correction b2b in particular seems to be hit incredibly hard mm. in these last couple of months and so um yeah but actually this is a good plug for horizon because emma just launched a new feature over there mm. um in which he has a, like a sentiment calendar where he's constantly yeah. keeping people updated on how he feels about things. And it's really great for kind of checking in with his picks. Um, and so, yeah, if you were interested in seeing all of Emmett's picks and how he feels about them on literally a week to week basis, you <laughs> should go over and check out horizon because it's, it's very, it's great for kind of reassuring yourself. I would mm. say he's very, he's, he's very good at like kind of maintaining his audience. He's always checking in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so then on to some more listener questions. Um, this one is from Ryana. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And she asked us, which S&P 500 ETF would we recommend? And when we say we, I'm asking Anne-Marie. <laughs> um, well, we have one in the My Wall Street shortlist, which is VU, V-O-O. Mm-hmm. Um, this is overseen by Vanguard. It's uh, it's a quite, fairly old. It's well over a decade old. I really like Vanguard. I think mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of like seen as like the old-timey responsible kind of brokerage in the United States. Um, but it has a very low you – p- you pay a very tiny, like, annual fee to be invested in ETF, like very, very low, much less than you would, like, a mutual fund or a managed fund or anything like that. And so for VU, it's 0.03%, which is very low. So I would say first go to VU. The secondary option that people talk about all the time is SPY, S-P-Y. It's the oldest ETF in the world. It tracks the S&P 500. However, uh, slightly higher fees, 0.095%. So, um, yeah, it's, you're kind of... You have to kind of make up your mind there. People, yeah. I think people tend to go to SPY first because it's the oldest, mm-hmm. but I would have no problem. Like, I'd say first first go to Vanguard, and if Vanguard is not available in your area, then go to SPY. Yeah, I I invest in VU, so. Yeah, yeah. Ha- hashtag not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then the last listener question is from Mary from Donegal. So big shout out to hey. an Irish listener. Um, I'll take this one, but she asked us, how do you find a broker? And as she lives in Ireland, um, her options are Didario, Interactive Brokers, Revolut and eToro. And if you want more information about those brokers that I just listed, we actually have an article on them um, on mywallstreet.com. So if you just search, I don't have a broker, who do you recommend? Um, that will bring you to the My Wall Street Help Center. Um, and even better, we also have an FML episode that's entirely about answering questions that we often get from new investors. So if you'd like to listen to that, it's episode six of FML and it's titled, How Will I Know? Um, okay, so then we're on to the girl boss of the week already. We are. And actually this week, Nicole, you have picked out the girl boss of the week. Yeah, I have. Rare pivot. Yeah. Girl boss of the week. So this week it's Ticketmaster. And this ep- this podcast has been recorded a little bit ahead of when this will be published. So you might be like, this is old news. But we co- it could not be Ticketmaster after all the Taylor Swift um, drama. Its fans were basically, her fans, sorry, were left furious to discover that they had been locked out of the kind of um, line to buy tickets for her anti-hero Um I know for the for her sorry not her that's the song for her um world tour and they kind of blame this on like 
extremely high demand and they also you know made up some i don't know was it an excuse but they also said they were trying to get rid of bots but basically it was just not good it was a complete flop and you know taylor came out and she was furious and she said that it was so hard to watch this unfold all her fans being so upset and she is kind of known as an artist that always does protect her fans and she's very vocal about that and you know she also said that like this is why she's brought so many elements of her career and her tours and her albums like record and everything about her career in-house because she hates when things like this happen um so yeah it was just like crazy but like Ticketmaster did come out and say that even though you know it was a bit of a flop two million tickets were still sold on the um November 15th the day it all kind of happened and they also said that this was the most tickets ever sold for an artist in a single day which is you know massive achievement for her but an interesting thing that's kind of come come after this is that like people are kind of being really outspoken about Ticketmaster being a monopoly so yeah. and saying that you know it should be broken up which I think is like you know that's kind of interesting as well because you know we know big tech monopolies but I wouldn't have thought Ticketmaster was a monopoly before mm. this yeah it's uh, it's a funny one because i i think so Ticketmaster merged with live nation in 2010 mm. and they were like the two biggest live event companies in the united states and people were like jesus they shouldn't be allowed to merge and it went through anyway um but i think in the u.s it's Ticketmaster has so much more influence and power than it seems to have outside mm. of the u.s so um people complain because there's surge pricing in the united states so like you could be trying to buy tickets or something and obviously like there is incredibly high demand the hour that tickets go live. And so Ticketmaster is allowed to just chart, like raise prices based upon demand. So then that means that, you know, an artist might've announced, oh yeah, so tickets start at $75 and you go in there and the cheapest ticket you'll be able to buy is 200, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But Ticketmaster gets away with that because there's no alternative service. Like no mm. one can handle like such a large influx of people. So that's one thing that they get away with in the United States, which is illegal in the European Union. So we don't have to deal with that, which is nice. Um, <laughs> There is also limitations on ticket fees here, so we don't have to deal with that. Also great. But again, that's all regulation. Like, it's all EU regulation. Yeah. Um, and the kind of, but the bigger issue that impacts absolutely everyone internationally is because Ticketmaster is so powerful and because it seems to be the only provider that, like, has the server capability to handle such an influx of people all trying to get on one website at one time. You know, I, I think it was something like for the fan-exclusive pre-sale, there were 3.5 million people trying to get in to the sale. Um like if Ticketmaster is the only like company that can handle that, I suppose that that's fair enough. But it means that they have no real reason to improve their technology. Yeah. So like they can stand around and be like, yeah, oh, we're so sorry that 1.5 yeah. million fans didn't get tickets. But mm -hmm. who else are you gonna go to? Like you're gonna go yeah. and run the Taylor Swift eras tour off of Eventbrite? Hardly. <laughs> like, so it is. It is a difficult thing. I, I a couple of um politicians in the united states have called for an investigation into monopoly behavior maybe that will you know come up with something this is a real opportunity though for some other company to start investing in servers to turn yeah. around to taylor shift and say hey you can own a portion of our company if you agree to put our your tour with us so yeah, yeah maybe something will come out of that yeah no i i really felt bad for the taylor swift fans are you a taylor yeah. swift fan yeah i like taylor swift i yeah, actually I like was it. at both nights of her reputation tour in dublin uh years ago in 2018 because i worked at the venue okay cool. yeah there so she go. was quite good actually i would say if you can get taylor swift tickets it might be worthwhile yeah she's massive as well yeah. but um okay so that's a wrap 
thanks so much for listening everyone if you enjoyed this episode tune back in in two weeks time oh that's actually a lie because this will be our last episode of fml for 2022 because it'll be like the 22nd of december when the next one's meant to be out and me and Marie will be in the middle of our you know christmas well not in the middle of at the start of our christmas holidays so we just thought we'd come back fresh yeah. in 2023 so we will we'll also be then. seven hours apart because of the time change which is a bit brutal for recording a podcast oh because you'll be in america yep okay yeah. right well yeah sorry about it very dedicated to this guys and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to follow us on socials you can find us at on instagram at fun my life podcast on twitter at my wall street hq and on tiktok at my wall street and our account dedicated to the podcast at Anne Marie and Nicole FML. And finally, if you are ready to start invest your investing journey and are looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street Learn app. Both are linked below. If you would like to keep up to date with all the exciting things happening at My Wall Street, make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter. The link to do so is in the description of this episode. That's all from us. We hope you enjoyed listening. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Why can't we say Happy Christmas? Because I don't want to say Happy Christmas and Happy New Year. Because, you know. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. (laughs) You should probably say Happy Holidays to be inclusive. Oh, yeah. Happy Holidays. Sorry, that's just ingrained into my head from being Irish. Oh, yeah. That's a shame. Roll the music. (laughs) 